Welcome to Jeff's World with Jeff Stein, the show that sees life through the eyes of possibility, purpose, and punchlines. Because in Jeff's World, we blow minds and large hearts and leave no man or child behind. And now, here's your host, Chief Executive Optimist and President of these inspired states of mind, Jeff Stein. Okay, okay, okay. Calm down, everybody. That's enough. <laughs> you're escalating a little, America. America, you're escalating a little bit. Uh, I'm Jeff Stein. Erica Ferriston is here, too. Uh, Jeff Hendricks still, he's, he's trying to take care of his own healing. He's and healing. So he's healing. That's he's what healing. he's doing. And uh, obviously, we respect and understand that. Today would have been a good day for him to be here, considering all the crazy things that's going on, because uh, his passion would definitely be well-injected, as well as his, his comedy. <laughs> yes, we miss the passion and comedy. But America, you are you're just you're just kind of escalating a little bit, and what I mean by that is that it, it's time every once in a while on these shows. For those of your longtime listeners, you know this. Every once in a while, I got to stop and do a gut check because we got to peel it back and get back to these basics. Um, you know, philosophically, if you've listening, you know me. I, I try to accept everyone's and anyone's perspective. I love hearing the way other people see their world and then discussing it. it to me, that is just that's so uh, informative. It makes me grow. It makes me understand my world better. But my love, I'll admit, isn't uh, technically unconditional. <laughs> I have a condition when I'm discussing especially politics and where this world is going. And that is this. It's, if, if, you're, if your expressed sentiment that you're throwing at me does not feel <laughs> like love or kindness or gratitude or inspiration, then you must be willing to answer some questions about where that's coming from within you. You must be willing to receive uh, a, a question about your higher intent. And if you are, I'll eagerly continue a soul-searching evolution with you as long as the answers are honest. And I don't mean honest like I'm the judge of it, honest. I mean to you. That not 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 matter if I think it's honest, uh, but honest to your higher, deeper, purposeful, thoughtful self. And obviously, you only know the difference between whether you, it's honest or not. But you can tell because <laughs> I love again, I love hearing how other people put their world together and their beliefs uh, because, you know, it, it's it's eternally validating to me to how I understand this world and the way God's universe works, because it it matters less whether someone is right or wrong, and more whether their conclusion, again, is based on love or fear or kindness or revenge, inspiration or desperation. And that is something we need a little gut check on again, because I think we're kind of, as I've been reading a lot of banter on the antisocial media, <laughs> and mm-hmm. it's been ramping up a bit lately. Uh, that happens when there's a tragedy like Houston, and we're going to talk about that because Houston, Harvey, and that reaction has been uh, both super soul enlarging and also super dividing. Because, and we need to talk about this because Irma is next. 185 miles per hour winds, sustained uh, winds. They're, they're, now there's this discussion of do we have to have a category six for hurricanes? Well, they're saying that. Um the way that Irma is developing, that it would be the equivalent of, you know, a 60 foot wide tornado and that they've never, never. seen anything like this. Yeah. So, I mean, we're just getting warmed up. It's going to get and, and there's no sign of that. stuff. we're not sure exactly where it's going to hit. Obviously, they're, they're evacuating Broward County and a good part of it right now down in Miami. There will be many more tens of thousands of displaced people 
the beyond Harvey and, and, and Houston that will happen. Of course, it could even, in theory, hit them again. And then we will need billions more in aid. So we need to discuss the discomfort <laughs> of this debate. Uh, but if I may, before we get into that, I want to give a little appreciation of what is going on in Harvey and Houston. I think that's important for context. So please, if you'll listen. Watery misery kept rising in Harris County, which includes Houston. By midweek, 30 percent of the county, 450 square miles, was underwater. The current was, you know, getting, getting, getting hot. We had to bust the window to get out. Houston Mayor Sylvester Turner had decided against evacuating residents in America's fourth largest city. You cannot evacuate 6.5 million people within two days. You cannot. That would be chaotic. You would be, we, would have, we would be putting people more in arms' way. A dangerous water world trapped tens of thousands of residents. Life and death 911 calls scaled beyond the capacity of first responders. I asked for volunteers to come forward with uh, boats and high-water vehicles. A civilian Navy responded. Neighbor rescued neighbor in private boats and high-water vehicles. Harvey became an all-hands-on-deck moment. This was my family. I'd hope somebody would come for them. Right. We knew that we had a lot of civilians with boats that wanted to help. Art Acevedo is Houston's police chief. They had courage, integrity, intestinal fortitude, and as a result of them willing to get in the water and get in these boats, I, I know for a fact that a lot of people lived because of them. Harvey's new flood became evacuees. Houston's convention center became its major shelter. Nearly 10,000 people poured in, doubling its original capacity. Two Mattress Mac furniture stores yeah. became temporary housing for people with no place else to go. We thank Mr. Mack for opening up his doors to us because we didn't know where our next meal was going to come from or our clothes on our back. Mr. Mack is owner Jim Mackingbell. We're going to keep these folks here as long as they need to be here. They may be here three days and may be here seven. Who knows? We're here to help, and that's what we do. That's who we are. But the lifeline came too late for some. Water swept away a van, killing six members of the Saldivar family an elderly couple, and four of their great-grandchildren. Three-year-old Jordan Grace survived in floodwaters, clinging to her dead mother's body. The little girl told rescuers, Mama was saying her prayers. If you lose one life, that's one life you didn't want to lose. Again, Mayor Turner. But considering the enormity of the storm and the amount of rainfall that occurred, uh, the number of, of lives that have been lost, it's, it's much lower than what it could have been. The initial estimate of property damages was $30 billion, less than 40% of it covered by insurance. Many Houston neighborhoods could remain uninhabitable for weeks. One of the signs that what people will look to and what's important is how quickly that debris is being removed. What we are needing from FEMA is an advanced payment on debris removal. Give me a sense of the kind of check you're looking for as a down payment. Debris removal for the city of Houston, just for the city of Houston alone, could be anywhere between $250, $300 million. Total damage and cleanup costs could reach $75 billion, making Harvey the second most costly natural disaster in U.S. history, behind only Katrina. Its legacy of ruin will challenge Houston for the next decade. We have always faced challenges. That's who we are. But this is a city of hope and opportunity, and this is a city that will come back stronger than it has ever been. For that, I have no doubt. 
It's a 1,000-year flood now, they're saying. 1,000-year flood because of the magnitude. Donations well over a quarter billion dollars. You know, people are actually coming up and poning up and doing the right thing. And so uh, we're going to talk about that because Texas is not only ground zero for this disaster, it is ground zero, it seems, for a lot of our different philosophical debates we're having in America right now. This is the mind-expanding experience known as Jeff's World. I'm Jeff Stein with Erica Ferris and Jeff Hendricks out for the healing purposes. But uh, we're trying to keep it all together and keep the passion rolling without him. Um, this idea of, again, the gut check of Houston. And I feel like Texas has become this kind of ground zero for a lot of this broader debate that we need to have as a nation. So I'm looking at the anti-social media and I'm seeing some of the responses over Houston because people start to politicize it pretty quickly. Uh, now, I will get to in a minute, there's a, a number of segments which so exemplify the humanity that came out of it. And those stories are definitely beyond encouraging and remind us that we are, as they say, more united than divided and always are. But uh, case in point, like I'm, I'm looking at some different political cartoons and one of these political cartoons that was floating around the Twitterverse was one that uh, talked about Donald Trump celebrating his crowd size while looking at flood victims. Look at a great crowd I've got. Right. And of course, obviously, he's taking a poke at his narcissism and his vanity. And that upset <laughs> Trump supporters and others and Houstonians. It, it upset people in, in a big way. And. It, then it came up. The other one too was the uh, the cartoon of the the redneck kind of looking Houstonian Texan, presumably with a sign that says he's a climate change denier, and then standing next to an insurance adjuster with his sign saying uh, claims denier, flood claims denier, and that kind of juxtaposition of not realizing because this is a thousand year storm, and so what happened was, and you can help me with this, please, Erica, is that you know it, it, those who take the scientists' word for it, that climate change is real and man-made, went a little, I told you so, you know? And and I understand why that happens. And I understand, you know, and again, that's why I said at the top of the show, I try to accept people where their perspectives are because that feels like relief. You've got a bunch of folks on the left uh, who are saying, guys, the world is under siege, basically. We are all in this together. If we don't deal with climate change, we are all going to die. That's great. Right? That is a fear that should shake and certainly does shake the boots of anybody who contemplates it. Right? So when you see a bunch of angry right-wingers who have absolutely refused to believe that it's even true be up to their waists in water from the third 500-year storm in as many years, you kind of want to go, where have you been? <laughs> and you want to say, I told you so, in the form of these kind of cartoons. <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> can... I just take issue with this whole conversation. Oh, okay, please. So I feel like now you and I are going to totally have it out Cool. Here. I feel like so much on this show, you talk about how, um, you know, you're always open to everybody's point of view and you're always seeing this side and that side. And I feel like I hear, I, I, I feel like you are constantly taking the conservative point of view. So <laughs> right. some a-hole 
puts up a cartoon and that's being attributed to all those on the left good, who good. believe in climate change. Um, I don't think so. Nobody I know is putting up, you know, cartoons like that. And um, and what about the other side of this? I, I, I'm, I'm watching scientists on the news. I'm watching, um, you know, leaders of environmental movements. And not once have I heard them say, told you so, F you, ha ha, not once. What they have said is, we have been trying to do something to prevent this. Yep. We have not been listened to. We hope that people will start listening now. Yeah. We will have this conversation no matter how much people try to shut it down by accusing us of politicizing this event. This event is political. It is politicized. It's politicized when you don't have FEMA showing up at, in Cancer Alley. It is politicized when you don't have any of the government, uh, you know, rescue workers showing up in poor areas, in toxic areas, and it is only relying on the good people of the area to volunteer themselves, which. You know, they, they're not professionals in this. That There's a lot of risk in that. So it is politicized. And I'm not going to accept that because what? There's a couple of cartoons that are in poor taste. This, you know, is contributed to the whole left. And, and you know, how awful and mean the liberals are to the poor Texan suffering. I mean, people are... Uh, working together people are sending in donations people are risking their lives and I'm sorry but for all of you who have enough time to go on social media and get into these tit for tats then consider the privilege you have right now (laughs) that's a good point too yeah so excellent you just totally illustrated uh the, the point you're so kind <laughs> no it's wonderful you're it's like wonderful. the kindest person i get to <laughs> to yell at <laughs> that's funny um and you know and you do know people that by the way that do put up those kind of cartoons we do and 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 it and it i don't your sentiment expresses why that feels certainly justified and whoa Back up. I don't justify those cartoons. Okay. Like you, I understand. Would I post a cartoon like that? No. If a friend came, none of my delegate people have, but if a friend came to me and said, I'm going to post this, I'd be like, "Mm, hold on, let's just think about that for a second. So, I mean, I'm so don't put this on me, but do I understand? Yes. But here's what. I think you're interested in, I'm interested in. Okay. How do you, you know, finally get to this moment of, um, you, we need to accept the facts and work toward solutions here because the problem is the people in charge who deny climate change because they're getting paid by the Koch brothers to do so and then they're manipulating their constituencies to 
act like, oh, it's just an act of God. Nothing we can do. Nothing we can ever do. It's just the way it is, except all we can do is pray when we there are things we can do. So how do we get people that are stopping these things from being done, which then turns natural disasters into man-made catastrophes where people are losing their lives. This is not this is not a political argument. This is not a joke. This is not funny. By stopping consumer protections, it's putting people's lives in danger. Right. And so on the case of climate change and certainly in the specific case of Houston, there were many uh, who echoed the voices that you're echoing in Houston and begged the state of Texas and the federal government, more of the state of Texas because it's their you know purview, to prepare Houston for the thousand-year flood, knowing that it was coming. Yes. Even after they came, they knew. And so there are folks who have, again, the facts and legitimate concern. And so then there were those, again, who went off and rhetorically spoke to it in, in, a, in a kind of I told you so tone, whether they're your friends or not, it is not the point. But now, the reaction from the right, if you will, I was uh, fascinated by it too. And I'm not justifying any of it. They just started to say, well, this is just completely out of bounds and completely unacceptable. And first of all, I thought, okay, this feels the same. I was trying to be sympathetic to them and say, well, this feels the same to them like it does when a fire and brimstone preacher says that hurricane was caused by the gay lifestyle. To them, they see when you say that, uh, you know, blaming these people that are flooding for not being before for climate change is just mean but you know what and you peel that back too and you say what's really going on here and this is where i call out my conservative friends on this one because y'all scream snowflake all the time and say those liberals can't handle a joke they can't handle a little commentary a little sarcasm you know a little a little word that's not politically correct well look what you're doing you're looking at this Houston situation and you are throwing your arms up talking about liberals being the most evil things ever because they dared to to say that these poor folks, you know, have bear any responsibility with their situation because of climate change and their and their inability to consider the floods that are that are coming. So the point is is that this is why I started the show saying, "Hey, got to calm down a minute because we're each going into our victimhood a little bit when we do this. When we start getting upset at the other person and then we get focused more on the argument and the fact that who's right, who's wrong, who's the more offensive, who could who could be the most shameful in the way they're saying it, and it becomes a tit for tat. I know personally one of the things people love to do with me because <laughs> I have these little debates here and there. They like to catch me in some sort of negative or hypocritical moment. Uh, and I know why they want to. I used to do it too. I used to try to catch when I was a much more angrier political fighter. I wanted to catch somebody else in their hypocrisy because then it justified mine. It made me feel good about my hypocrisy or, or when I got irrational or when I got emotional to watch somebody else get emotional and irrational and whatever. And, and I'm not saying being emotional or rational isn't, isn't in order, you know, because we have moments in our humanity where we kind of lose it. <laughs> I've lost it. We've all lost it. Um, the trick is, is when we're done, that's why I say you got to calm down and say, okay, okay. Now that we've all taken a breath, where are we in this? Are we going to move forward or are we going to, you know, keep yelling about who's the biggest a-hole in the response to Houston? Well, I'll tell you who's moving forward. Yeah. And they've been moving forward for decades and it is the scientists and it is the environmental justice leaders 
It is the environmental leaders. They have, how else do you have the information where it was like, okay, this is coming. Here's what we need to do to prepare. But we have the people that stop that preparation. And you know what the scientists and the environmental movement has continued to do? Move forward. And you see them doing that right now in this case. Here's what we need to do to batten down the hatches in Florida. Here's what you need to do when you are rebuilding Houston. Will you take these things into consideration? And We'll see. So you have the one side that continues to move forward, regardless of the names that they've been called, regardless of the money that's been stripped, the positions that have been stripped to maintain this. We will repair the pipelines, but we're going to continue to allow people to build homes in what we know are flooding areas. Without preparing, yeah, the necessary walls and, and levees. We'll and continue to, yeah. to not have uh, flood insurance available. I mean, th- so look at the two sides here. Yeah. You have the side that has been moving forward, is still moving forward now, and you have the side that's like, no, we're not we're not going to put our houses on stilts. That's just, that's an analogy. That's no, they not do to that. They literal. actually do that in New Orleans. Well, we're not going <laughs> to, um, you know, you know, uh, shore up the levees. We're not going to increase the marshlands, which we know, or we'll put a fund together that. for rebuilding, like you said, or some sort of insurance so plan. You have those that stop and resist. And why is that? How is it that your life is better? Because money wasn't used to shore up whatever it is, bridges, levees. Uh, How is your life better? Because the Koch brothers made a billion more dollars? Yeah. And this is why Texas is ground zero for this. Because as you know, in Texas, they have resisted this call for preparation for floods and climate change. They At the at the state legislature level, they've completely said, not completely, but to a large degree, they've said, nah, we're not going to deal with Even this. Even during the hurricane, <laughs> the state legislator said, we're, we're turning off the uh, toxic sensors so that we can't measure. And... By the way, chemical plants, go ahead and release any toxins you need to. We're not going to measure it. We're not going to fine you. We're not going to keep track of it. That's in the middle. So you have that side, and then you have the side that's saying, "Uh, that's not wise. We need to measure it. We need to know. Oh, we're not going to let the people know who live there what chemicals are being released because we don't want a terrorist in North Korea to find out. So why does it upset you so much? Because I care about human life. Well, you're personifying it personally. What do you mean? Well, because your human life isn't in danger. So it bothers you that other people's lives are in danger. Yes. Okay. So I, I, I care about other people that aren't me or my immediate family. It's more than that, though, because if it was... If it was just sympathy for others, then, you know, you would obviously jump into action like you do and try to help people. But the fact that it gets you angered means in some way you are feeling a victim to these folks' refusal to accept uh, these truths about – because right now people in Houston are suffering as a result of not only a weather circumstance, which was a thousand-year storm, but also because of a failure to plan to some degree. You can debate that degree, but that obviously bothers you tremendously. And it bothers you when you hear uh, uh, someone doing environmental damage. 
It's right? it's because that's people damage. It's people Environmental damage. damage. When you inhale toxic fumes, you get cancer. And it's terrible that people who could have wonderful, productive lives are then dealing with cancer, possibly dying, going bankrupt. It's terrible that people are dealing with this situation. I don't think that I'm alone or unique. Mm, not alone or unique. In, uh, <laughs> having compassion for somebody that is not my personal being and wanting to put things in place. You know, I wasn't in world war two, uh, but I would not like to have another world war. Yeah. There is compassion. And then there is, again, you've heard me say expressions to you in particular a million times is it, when a rich person burns their money to help a poor person. So this is what I'm talking about when it when it riles us up so like much. I'm and burning my, I don't feel like I'm wasting my money to help poor people. Well, I'm, that's okay. I mean that when- I take action. I do things. I know. I know you do. And I'm not trying to put you on trial necessarily, but, but I am. You are. But I am. Because I want us to all look, and I'm, you're in the room, so you get to be the unfortunate guinea pig. I mean, pig. why does it not bother you? <laughs> uh, it does. That, that uh, consumer protections are being stripped. Do you think it'll just stay in Houston? Nope. The distinction is not the choice. I can see, just like you can, that a choice was made and it was a poor choice and a better choice needs to be made. It's the but level of upsetness. they have the power over those people. Yes, they do. You have, mil- for example, you have, what is it, 93% of, the, of Americans want common sense gun laws. Yeah, a great example. That should be put in place. You have a small percentage of people with power making decisions that keep the masses at risk and at danger. And that is the analogy for something like this here. I agree with everything you believe in, in all the context that you've just said. The difference is the upsetness. And that's what the only thing I'm just discussing is the upsetness, meaning that um, I see these folks in Houston who, in particular, let's make it very real, who have by the choices, some of them, not all of them, obviously just a broad brush, not fair, that by their tribalism, they're choosing the Republican Party and saying the Republicans in te- and then Texas legislature know better. They know climate change is a hoax put together by liberals. And so they're not going to waste that money on flood control and protections against chemical plants that might seep in and destroy our environment. They're not going to you know, do with that because they're wrong. And so I'm not going to be upset as much. That's the only difference between you and I, because I just don't want to get too so, emotionally but the, but involved. The, but, in... but the problem with I understand no, that. Me. And that's a good I, I do appreciate that. But the problem is. So you have those people, but in there, you also have people who the, yeah. are children, especially children and yeah. and people who don't feel that way and who are working for these things but then who suffer the consequences of you know this minority yeah and again, this is the beautiful part of this debate. And so when we come back, I want to get into that. I also want to get into that, the uh, higher side of Houston, what brought Houston together as we kind of try to move into the get-togetherness over the nastiness. And that's exactly the kind of thing we try to do here on Jeff's World. To be fair to Trump, we don't need elbow grease from our presidents at times of tragedy. We need their inspirational words. But even there... Trump wasn't quite up to the task. We have had a uh, tremendous group of folks. Uh, our acting director, Elaine, thank you very much for the job you've done. And 
a man who's really become very famous on television over the last couple of days, Mr. Long. My hands are too big. We're here to take care. It's going well. And I want to thank you for coming out. We're going to get you back and operating immediately. Thank you, everybody. What a crowd. What a turnout. What is wrong with you? You're the president, not a stand-up comic. What a crowd, what a turnout. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming out tonight. Oh, what? You had to because your house was underwater? That's my time. I don't want to say that Trump is out of touch with reality, so I'll let him say it. It's been a wonderful thing. It's as, tr- as tough as this was, it's been a wonderful thing. I think even for the country to watch and for the world to watch. It's been beautiful. Have a good time, everybody. I'm going to be doing a little help over here. Have a good time, everybody. You know, it reminds me of newscaster Herbert Morrison and his commentary during the Hindenburg disaster. Just look at those beautiful flames arching skyward from that airship. Oh, the humanity. The humanity is having the time of their lives. Have a good time, everybody. (laughs) I'm Jeff Stein. This is Jeff's World, the place where your political soul search happens. I'm along with Erica Fairston. And I played that clip because... People, again, now we're talking about this political cartoon and this this kind of shot at Trump during the response. I want people to hear his response. He really did brag about the crowd. He really did, you know, make it about him. And it was interesting to watch because, again, my right-wing friends, especially some folks from, from Texas, got very upset. Like, how can you do this in the middle of this? And I went, you know what? First of all, look at what happened. Look at what Trump did. And try to let go of your victimhood for a little second here. Let go of your snowflakeness and say, yeah, okay, that's their perspective. My perspective is different because I'm looking at a world that's underwater and it scares me. And I want to feel good or better about it. And I want to, and I want it obviously to be personified through this president who I like. Uh, and so they see it that way and they say, well, he's finally doing some nice things and you guys just tear him down. You know, all over. I saw these thread after thread after thread Wait, where they what tried is to the say, nice thing that he went to. Houston? He went to Houston. That's the nice thing. That's the nice thing. And then, they and did then a, he said, have a good time. But here's the thing. You got like Representative Joe Walsh and some other Republicans who, who literally followed. They send their tweets out saying, look at what President Trump has done. And then they had to put their victimhood in it where they said Obama never in his aloof, arrogant way, never cared about people the way Trump did. And it's like, you know what? You took your moment of decency and humanity and you just put it through your lens of victimhood and snowflakeness and said and re- and gave the ground and gave the high ground back to your own you know pettiness is that why he rescinded daca in the middle of the hurricane most because people, he cares about people right no we're gonna get to daca but daca most people think he rescinded it to get everyone's attention off the russia scandal but that's another story everything he seems to be doing is to get it off that or it's his white nationalism but that's uh <laughs> it didn't work but i i, I It's fascinating because it's happening in Texas where, quite frankly, you've got this combination of folks. They know what's going on. This Texas-ness, this turn came up for me because I don't know how much coverage you watched, Erica, but there was so much of this. We're Texans. We got this. We're going to be fine. We're Texans. Texans do this. Texans do that. Texans do that. And and it's going to seem like I'm raining on someone's party by questioning that. But why? Why do you, why, this is why I say I'll have a date with anyone if you're willing to ask these questions. Why is your Texasness important? I think it's too important on twofold. One, they're scared, they're in a tragedy, 
and having a source of common pride is good. Mm-hmm. Common pride is good. Um, but simultaneously, it's Texas specific. And that to me betrays the truth. It betrays the truth that as Texans, you feel both judged from without and divided within. Let me say it again. You're judged from without and divided within. Meaning, other people look at you and say, well, people are looking at us. That's why we got to say we're Texans because we're good and we're awesome. And then simultaneously, because whenever you go to like a big pride, that's usually to buck up for the fact that you feel judged and or you're looking at your own state of Texas and saying, we're pretty freaking divided here. Uh, we've got a hundred and something thousand, 140,000 uh, DACA children and young adults, and we've got immigration and we've got disasters and we've got a real life example of what climate change does. Right. And we've got a, uh, a legislature and a, and a, and a wave of Republicanism, which says, I ain't listening to anybody except ourselves. This kind of self, you know, they got a lot of things going on there. <laughs> in addition to, like you said, folks that are drowning that do not believe in any of those things. Well, first of all, I want to go back to that. Yeah, yeah, please. When I said, I, I think I was misinterpreted. Okay. When I'm saying that the people who are resisting, I'm talking about the people who have the power to make legislation. So I'm talking yeah. about the members of Congress. Well, they're I elected, though. never talking about, but you're the one taking it down to that level. I was never talking about the people of Texas. Right. Ever. Okay. I was talking about the members of Congress, the Republican members who are bought, owned, and enslaved by the Coke industry and the petrochemical industry. They are the ones who are, they are the climate deniers, or I don't even care, call it whatever you want. They're the flood deniers. They're the nothing to see here, whatever. And then they are manipulating Mm -hmm. their constituents. So I'm not, I, if, if it was ever interpreted that I was calling the people of Texas stupid, I was not. No, that wasn't the interpretation. I'm not now. Okay, good. Because I just want to clear that up. Um, but anyway, so, um, yes, I'm talking about the people who, you know, make the laws and just like, you know, some people say, well, they voted for Trump for some reasons and don't, you know, not the craziness that he's inflicting. You know, I'm sure that there are people in Texas who like consumer protections and maybe voted for their representatives for other reasons, hoping that these people would have common sense. You know, if this is a flood area, let's, you know, whatever we have to do to make it, you know, so that if a flood happens, uh, these people, these homes, these properties are protected. Well, I'll be much more cruel than you are then, because you're right. I don't I believe that you have made your point clear. And everyone's listening. Hopefully we'll hear that because Erica obviously means no ill will upon anyone who is receiving the brunt of the storm for whatever reason, whatever, whatever their representatives did. But I will not give them that necessarily exception. I'll be completely cruel and say that your representatives um, deliberately did not prepare for this sort of thing. And you elected these representatives. And I'm not blaming you for it because you're right. As Erica made a great point there just a second ago, is that you may have voted for these folks because they're part of the tribe and, and you believe in their Christian aspect or you believe in their fiscal conservative aspect or whatever it is that you've decided makes them part of the tribe. But you might want to ask yourself about your own blindness because there are some self-preservation things that they are voting against for there to line their pockets. And you might want to call them on that. And so we... 
And the reason I get back to the beginning of the argument is I wanted to calm everybody down a little bit so we can say, okay, Houstonians, okay, Texans, you have had another example of what you might want to look at, (laughs) meaning your climate effect in Houston specifically. I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to make fun of you. I'm going to leave you. I'm going to do everything I can to support you in your evolution to turn Houston into a town that's ready for a 10,000 year flood instead of just put kicking it down the road for profits temporarily. And not to just make this about Houston, the entire country, every state should be looking at Houston and looking at their own state and what you know, what disasters do we need to shore up for, (laughs) whether it's fires in California, hurricanes in Florida, which we see are on the way. So it's not just upon, you know, Houston and those legislators there. It's the legislators of the entire country. Here in California, real quick note, we passed Prop 30 or 32. It was the rainy day fund. And what it did is it vastly improved and and expanded our assets for firefighting. Mm -hmm. We have way more super scoopers, way more planes. We have way more firefighters that are on duty, on payroll. We have vastly increased the budget to pay for overtime and to pay for resources when these things happen. So our fire here that we had right here in Burbank, up on the hill, the The Verdugo Worst in the history. Worst in the history. Of the <laughs> recorded world as far as they've been recording. Yeah, here is this a, area. This area, worst ever. And we lost four houses. And that's. We deployed what? Was it over a thousand firefighters? Yes. They were there. And four many houses. super scoopers constantly flowing in. Foss check being poured. That's that stuff that the, the fire retardant, all just one plane after the other after the other. We did an amazing thing. Was it enough? Maybe not. Maybe we did do more. But. We changed it because we told the representatives and we passed things and said, you got to do something about this. And when you bring up the fact, like, maybe not, maybe we need to do more, probably. And that's what I hope that we're looking at. And not even more just specific to fire, but, you know, more into like, okay, well, what is causing these fires? Yeah, prevention. How do we... Oh, well, is it fossil fuels? Let's start switching over to solar energy, greed energy. Yeah, exactly. So I'll leave you with uh, the the lighter side and the nicer side of Houston so that we can end this on a nice note. And because when we come back, um, I want to get into DACA, (laughs) just changing everything here in America. Another big pivotal point in our history. Uh, What trillions of... This week, we saw what trillions of gallons of water can cover. But more importantly, we saw what it can uncover, our potential as a nation. I know it seems like eons ago, but remember what was in the news before this? Remember when nothing was more important in America than the fate of a Confederate statue? We were literally at each other's throats over race, religion, immigration, and of course, politics. And then Harvey came and pounded us with perspective. When the roof over your head becomes the floor beneath your feet, no one cares about the color or creed of his rescuer. No one passes judgment because a hero's boat is too big or his means are too meager. No one says, thanks for the rope, but I'd rather wait for someone more like me. And later, when they find themselves on the business end of a dump truck with nothing but the soggy shirt on their backs, I'm guessing no one ever thinks he's better than the person suffering next to him. 
A lot of people in Texas and Louisiana lost everything, but they are rich with perspective tonight and blessed with a new and priceless appreciation of their community. If everyone did this, we'd have a lot less to worry about. From the start of the storm, the volunteer rescuers were Harvey's silver lining. They risked their lives, some even lost their lives, in service to their neighbors. Continue helping people. We're going to go save some more lives, help some more people. This guy spoke for many. Spirit of Texas, that's what it's all about. But I do take slight issue with that last part. I think most Americans are heroes, just waiting for their moment. And if Harvey taught us anything, it's to be grateful for every last one of them. Which brings me to this rescue in Houston. These people were trying to save someone from a sinking car. I don't know who these folks are, but I do know this. If you took out a Christian, took out a Democrat, an immigrant, a Republican, Muslim, or Jew, remove any link in this brave chain of Americans, the whole group is adrift and a piece of humanity is lost. In this case, the chain held. When Mother Nature is at its worst, human nature is at its best. The challenge will be, as the floodwaters recede, will we still be able to love at these same record levels? That's Jeff's world for you. This is Jeff's World, the place where we look at this great experiment called America and hopefully leave it better than we found it. I'm Jeff Stein with Erica Fairston. That was Steve Hartman before the before he broke away, broke away there with um, CBS News. Yeah, I mean, there, that was such a beautiful commentary. And, you know, it is interesting. He said when uh, Mother Nature is at her worst, human nature <laughs> is at is at her best. And right. and. I think that, you know, as he says, it is the silver lining of, you know, these types of situations when you see people risking their lives to help somebody they don't know or people they do know. Um, And that is love. And he asked the question, when the waters recede, will we be able to hang on to that love? And I think... That is where Jeff Stein, it is love that you see people with specific training and uh, talent such as scientists and those in the environmental movement. Why? Ask yourself, why do they want to uh, put things to keep human lives safe? Why do they want to safeguard human life? It is because of the love of humanity. Yeah. They, it is coming from love. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and this is why I started to, and, I, and I, maybe I fumbled in the way of trying to get to this because I'm trying to illustrate the two paths. You know, we can be appalled by our political opponents and the things they might say uh, in, a, in a circumstance we find uncomfortable. You know, for the Houstonians, it was, you know, being politicizing a flood. But for these folks with DACA now, which we're going to get into in a minute, is is politicizing the lives of children. You know, it's just as just as scary. The opioid crisis. You got sixty thousand people die a year now. It's now number one. It, it it it's beaten guns by a long on how many people are dying in this country. 
And so, you know, how can that can be so upsetting or we're losing health care when we talk about health care and losing having I mean, how many people a month are going to die because they don't have health coverage. We have the equivalent and, of a 9-11 every year in California for the amount yeah. of people who die because they don't have access to health care. And we have one of the highest percentages mm-hmm. of coverage. You know, and it's still not all there. And so the point is, is when you get upset like that and then somebody on the antisocial media throws up some sort of commentary of some kind before you get upset and engage into that ugly troll fest, ask yourself what's going on in you. That was the point of why I brought this up. And that's why I think we needed the gut check is like if you're so personally offended. okay, whoa, what's going on? What are you scared of? What's scaring you and what are you identifying with that's under attack? Um, because something is. And, you know, again, the Texasness. I love this. It's like, well, OK, that's good. Texas pride is good. But don't, careful on your exclusion. You know, don't use it as a, as a, as a bludgeon on yourself, too, to say you're to, to, to justify your sense that you're rejected. You know, it's like you, you don't like me because I'm a Texan. So I have to be a double strong, strong Texan. You know, I'm saying not saying that that's what everybody is by no measure. But ask yourself that thing. That was one of our American arrogance problems I think we had. Remember when the show The Newsroom started and they said America isn't the best in the world. Mm -hmm. It's like, no, yeah, it is. Yes, we are. We're the best. It's like, wait a second. Why do we have to feel like we're the best? That's our issue. Mm -hmm. That deep need that we're a victim if we're not the best. It's like rather than saying, well, why don't we just be the best (laughs) and Mm -hmm. not have to convince anybody, you know? (laughs) Well, yeah, and I always, I mean – to me, with all the social media stuff, it's, you know, I don't know. Take that energy and that time to actually work for what you believe in yeah. rather than spending it going back and forth with somebody who is clearly not in the loving. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I, I love it. I was watching uh, the movie Whiskey Tango Foxtrot with, uh, mm, with Tina Fey. Like <laughs> it's a great movie. And they have this line you embrace the suck and you move the F forward. You know, and and that's what we're going to do. And that's what they did in Houston. And that's what we're going to have to do in Florida and potentially elsewhere. I got a couple of good friends that are in uh, the U.S. Virgin Islands right now and and they live there. They moved there and uh, they don't know what's going to happen. And they just battened up and boarded everything up. But nobody knows what 185, 200 mile an hour winds are going to do to that area. But we're in this together. And, uh, you know, for those who have been climate deniers, I had another great discussion with a climate denier. Not who actually... It's amazing of evolution. One of my conservative friends who's been a climate denier, change denier for years, he actually is now not a denier anymore, which I thought was incredibly encouraging for those folks who are trying to you know, look at the broad picture. He's now just the new tack, if you see it on, on that part of the equation, is climate, de- climate effect minimizers. Maybe that's the term. They think, well, you know, yeah, there's climate change. Okay, yeah, there's climate change. I'll give you that. But it's not all human. You know, we're not as responsible as you guys. You guys are freaking out about it. It's not that. And it's like, okay. So I asked my friend, I says, why do you feel like it's important for you to believe that? I, I mean, to me, <laughs> when I hear this, I'm like, what does it matter if we know that, you know, I don't know, emissions from, you know, cars and factories or cow farts. I don't care where it's coming from. We got to deal with it, right? You know, these situations, let's cut down on the emissions. Yeah. Let's just, just jump to the end. 
because yeah. we want to have a safer, yeah, pleasant world. There was a radio right wing talk show host, rhymes with Shmush Shmimba, who this morning explained it all through he he explained why this is the this is the tribal aspect. He says the reason that I am leery of forecasts because he's talking about the weather and Irma is because I see how the system works. In the official meteorological meteorological circles, they have an abundance of people who believe that man-made climate change is real, and they believe that Al Gore is correct when he has written, and he couldn't be more wrong, that climate change is creating more hurricanes and stronger hurricanes. And he just betrayed his victimhood, which is that I am so terrified of the idea of those smug liberals being right that I am going to find a conspiracy on the Weather Channel, <laughs> right? And I mean, so I feel like we would never even have to use this phrase again, or even talk about it. Like, yeah, just you know, whatever the problems are. I mean, don't you just isn't that common sense? Yeah, to address think. them. I mean, <sighs> stupid is as stupid does. <laughs> like, if if you're you know, I, I don't know if you're. How, you know, your pipes in your bathroom kept breaking over and over and flooding your bathroom. Wouldn't you get a plumber to fix them? Yeah. I mean, eventually, like, who who cares what caused it to break? I mean, yeah. as long as it's part of the solution, obviously you have to know to actually fix it. But just fix it. The desperate need to be right is our narcissism. In our society, and that is why we have the most narcissistic human being in possibly on the planet as president. He is a reflection of enough of us who were more concerned about being right than we were about just going, uh, fix the plumbing. <laughs> would you just... rather be right or would you rather be alive? Yeah. This is the debate. This is the debate. So when the stuff comes up on the antisocial media, take a breath, ask yourself, Am I just d- d- desperate to be right? I mean, it's you know? so interesting when you bring up the the I don't can we say his name the Limbaugh thing? Yeah, no, I was just kidding about okay. that. Obviously, I said so, it. Schmuschman <laughs> Limbaugh. Pretty but sure it's we like, know. Where is he going with this? Do, do is he advocating it's us for versus getting them? No, but is he? Listen to what he's saying. Is he advocating now for getting rid of all forecasts? I mean, isn't it kind of helpful? The thing about a hurricane is it moves slowly, unlike a tornado, unlike an earthquake. And so you have time to evacuate. So is he saying like, you know what? This is all a government conspiracy and all warnings and all forecasts. I mean, this is a really bizarre, dark ages, (laughs) bizarre world. Well, again, if if how far are they going to take it? When, when and you, then they could save that money and give it to tax breaks for the Cook brothers, right. <laughs> because that's going to make everybody's lives better. Right, right. It's the, again, it, it's all coming down to being right. And if you realize that you're not right, I, that's why I'm 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 in this fascination, fascinating observation of my my Trump supporters and the ones that obviously I'm reading on the anti-social media is that they are you can see they're that you can smell it. They're betraying their knowing that they don't have any ground to stand on anymore. They don't have any facts or solidity 
because they can't say, well, look, Donald Trump did this. This is awesome. But they're grabbing at everything. Okay, so what does that get wrong. them? Well, what it, does that get it them, makes them to be right. right? Okay, so what does that get them in being right? It doesn't get them anything except it perpetuates well, it, it, their Well, there's a payoff right. somewhere. Well, yeah, because again, it, it feels satisfying. If you, in, in the absence of, of truth, you get strength of conviction. You know, but so what? What would need to be strengthened in you know a person's life that is? Well, I think that what happened in Houston is a great example because they were just given the choice they were hoping for, which is we can bond together as a community and know our commonality, or we can go back to feeling like it's us against them. Who's at fault? Let's look for blame. Let's look for revenge. And, you know, that's up to them, obviously, in Houston to it figure out. It seems like the people in Texas are bonding together. Yeah, they seem to be. And it seems mostly, that the people the moment, outside that are not affected in any way are the ones that, I guess, are continuing division and right and wrong over this. Yeah, and that's another thing, too. So if, you, if you're ever in a tragedy, whether it's a wildfire out here or a flood or whatever— and you see someone else from another part of the country who isn't experiencing it jump into a typical state of political victimhood. Don't take it personally. <laughs> They're not in it. They don't get it. And mm-hmm. so don't judge them by that. That's the other part about the snowflake. That's why I call snowflake on some of my conservative friends who freaked out about, you know, making comments about Trump during the Houston thing. It's like, hey, 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 you know what you're going through. Stick with that. So how would like on the last commentator when yeah. he says, um, you know, will we continue to love after the waters resend? Like, what would that look like? <laughs> How do the people continue that? Well, as a society, again, if you're into politics, you got to know, right? It's going to move slowly. Everything kind of, you know, we, we move as a big, giant behemoth. Uh, you look for the examples of the growth and you look for the lessons. And there's a lot of lessons being learned. But, yeah, we're not going to learn it all in this one fell swoop. Um, we obviously are going to manifest a few more uh, two by fours to the forehead before we realize we should stop banging at each other. Um, you know, we're we're not done, but we're never going to be done. And the next generation will have new things, but it gets easier and easier, right? See, because I see what, earlier when you yeah, talked please. about like the pride parade, when I see people, um, you know, come who aren't uh, LGBT, you know or questioning when they come and they support people who are yeah to me that is learning the lesson when you see people of different colors religions cultures coming together to stand with those that are uh, being persecuted or um you know needing help or needing support well i think you, you there's the contrast between katrina and houston because in Katrina, there was a group of folks who wanted to put policemen and did on bridges to keep those folks back where they belong. And this didn't happen this time. This was a community effort to save everyone regardless of their socioeconomic status. And it really came together that way. So we did learn in that sense. Better. We're better. you got to look for the improvement. you look for the growth, right? So we're going to do that too because we're going to look at DACA in a second here. And yeah. that's going to require some serious looking at the growth because it's not pretty right now. And this is uh, they threw some gasoline on this fire. And uh, we need to figure out how to look at it <laughs> without going crazy. But that's what we do. She's Erica Ferriston. I'm Jeff Stein. This is Jeff's World. Even though his decision is unpopular, Trump bravely stepped up, then cringed back. 
and had somebody else announce it. But that someone was Attorney General and Turnip that learned to hate. <laughs> Jeff Sessions. I'm here today to announce that the program known as DACA that was effectuated under the Obama administration is being rescinded. I do declare it is being defectuated. We don't know why or who all is rescinding it. Probably those nasty immigrant children. But as my mama used to say, life is like a box of chocolates. Now get out of the country. <laughs> but Sessions doesn't want you dreamers to take any of this personally. The nation must set and enforce a limit on how many immigrants we admit each year and that means all cannot be accepted. This does not mean they are bad people or that our nation disrespects or demeans them in any way. You're right, Jeff. Deporting innocent children does not mean they're bad people. It means you're a bad person. <laughs> and here's the deal. These dreamers, these people who before us out of the country, they aren't the only ones being hurt. In fact, a recent study estimated that terminating DACA would cost the federal government $60 billion and would reduce economic growth by $280 billion in the next 10 years. Wow, Trump really is a deal maker. I'll trade you 800,000 productive young people and, wait, $280 billion for nothing. Final offer. <laughs> Take it or leave it. It's all to do. But that's it, okay? Uh, this is Jeff's World. I'm Jeff Stein with Erica Ferriston. Thank you for being a citizen and, and hanging out with us. DACA, after a little, you have to have a little comedy because... <laughs> because it's so tragic. But so on point, that comedy. And I have said it over and over. Republicans talk about how they are the fiscally conservative party. I mean, how many times have these has this party brought us into bankruptcy? Time and time again, everything they do ends up being a bad economic deal for the country, including rescinding DACA. And it's interesting uh, that, you know, he makes that point. This shows I'm not going to take I am taking this side. This actually shows uh, liberals trying to appeal to conservatives because they one of the arguments that conservatives love to say is that there's got to be a fiscal sense to it. And so it's amazing how much, whether it's Bill Nye, the science guy, or Stephen Colbert saying, hey, here's the numbers. You guys like profit and, and you like prosperity and DACA is great for the economy and the climate change and, and green energies are great for the economy. Come on. Well, wait a minute. <laughs> the part I take issue with is it's not that we're trying to appeal to the conservatives. These are facts. Yeah, that is that also. They're just economic facts. And also, um, we appreciate profit as well. <laughs> yeah. we, Prosperity we, is know, awesome for I everyone. I know that. Absolutely. Peace and prosperity. Yep. We're into it. We're into it. And I know that we've been labeled as like, oh, we're just going to give everything away. Well, everything that. <laughs> I love that voice when you do that. <laughs> you just give... Everything that we do, we are always accounting for it financially. For example, single payer, we come out ahead financially. Yeah, exactly. But anyway, I don't want to like, you know, tangent no, into that. Point. I want to come back to. To DACA and and the tragedy is and you know just to uh, we were just talking about Texas, which you know has again ground huge zero for this numbers ground zero for this of undocumented 120, workers hundred thirty thousand DACA workers specifically have signed as we up. do here we have two over two hundred thousand in California but you know um, 
Yeah. So, so, so many of those, you know, undocumented workers were right out there helping their fellow, you know, uh, neighbors, saving their lives, risking their own. I don't know if you heard about, but there were uh, four people that, you know, volunteer rescue workers who were electrocuted. Um, and they were undocumented. Yahir Vesuth and his brother Benjamin Vesuth, their uncle Gustavo Rodriguez Hernandez, and their friend Jorge Perez. They all lost their lives when they were electrocuted in their boat. They had saved seven people, and then they went out back out to save uh, some more. Two British Daily Mail journalists were in the boat. They survived by clinging onto trees for 18 hours. Wow. But what happened was is the the, the, uh, the boat got swept up. They lost control of the boat. And um, there went into waters where there were down power lines. So Jeez. let me just take a minute for a public service announcement. So I grew up in Florida where we have a lot of yeah. hurricanes. And when I was very young, my father taught me um, he said, you know, when you see water streaming down the street in a storm, he said, you never touch that water. You never step in the water. It doesn't matter how little bit the water is. He said, because you don't know if there's power lines that are down somewhere else that now that water, you know, is the path of the power, is the path of the power and you'll get electrocuted. So, so. Yeah, if you're ever whatever, if it's an earthquake, whatever it is, and there's like avoid water. Yeah, but but so, again, so here are these undocumented workers who gave up their lives. This just happened what yesterday and today. Um, you know, they 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 resend DACA. Plus, that are part about it. This is a betrayal. You know, it is a betrayal because we basically the government made a pact with them and said, look. You were not. You were brought here as children. Some of them are twenty somethings now. Some of you are still kids. And we see that we want you to be part of the society. So we created DACA, which says that if you get it, you know, stay employed. You don't have a criminal record. They go through an extensive vetting process. Which, needless to say, the Trump administration talks about vetting processes. They go through an extensive vetting process of criminal background check, and they, and many of them are military. They're starting to get a head count now on how many of these DACA kids are 20 somethings and they're in they're active duty military you know soldiers and, and sailors and marines and you want to pull them out of course not but here's the beauty of it i'm going to get right to the punchline a little bit this is bringing people together this is a small minority opinion <laughs> then that's that one have of the, all the power they do have the power for the moment because they can rescind it but the only reason they can rescind it is because here's the funny thing. You got to go backwards again. Now, the, 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 the argument from the right is that this was an unconstitutional thing by Obama in the first place. And I'll even give you that in the sense that it was an executive order and it wasn't codified in law. Here's here's Dianne Feinstein even, um, you know, uh, uh, backing that up with for that. Is DACA was DACA legal? Uh, DACA uh, was executive order. Uh, legal is is the law of passage of something. I, you know, there are ten attorneys general that are prepared to sue. I don't want to get into that. The point is, DACA is here, and we've got eight hundred thousand young people. Well, your answer indicates your answer indicates though that it's on shaky legal ground. It is. That's why we need to pass a law, mm-hmm. and we should do it. Yeah. So we will stipulate. Happy to stipulate that it was shaky legal ground. 
But the reason Obama did it is because both he and George W. Bush tried in great effort to create paths to citizenship, things for the dreamers, things for these kids, and you couldn't get it through Republicans <laughs> in Congress. They absolutely fought it, fought it, fought it, fought it. And then I'll tell you what, by the way, privately, when Obama wrote the executive order of DACA, Paul Ryan and company breathed a sigh of relief because now they didn't have to talk about it anymore. All they had to do, they could blame that evil Obama for his overreach and yet still have what they needed, which for the economy and for the sensibility of having kids have a path to citizenship. And also, one more thing before I go back to you, Eric. By the way, uh, there have been leaders of every major religion Baptists, Methodists, you know, Catholics, Jews, Muslims, who have all said in America... DACA, you can't rescind this. This is stupid. They, there's been an outpouring from the religious community, which I was very pleased and, and, mm-hmm. and honored to see, as well as things like this moment. I want to play Javier Palomares, the president and CEO of the U.S. Hispanic Chamber of Commerce, a Republican to the core. And, mm. uh, and he, when, he, when this was done yesterday or whatever he did. I officially resigned from that council uh, effective immediately. President Trump's council. So you've already turned in your resignation letter to the Trump administration. There is no letter. Uh, this is it. This is the resignation. Uh, you know, I tried to work as hard as I could with this administration on this issue. And I continue to want to work with them on other issues like tax reform, like health care reform, uh, and so many other important things. But I really don't see the logic in doing what we're doing right now. So, this Javier, did not j- have Javier to let me be clear. You are resigning on HLN right now. I am resigning right now from that council. I don't see the point in continuing to try to work with people that clearly don't see this issue the way I do. Boom. That's how fast this reaction is. And the mobilization. Good for him. People took to the streets. They're taking to the streets. People are educating. And by the way, one of the things that I saw fasting on a a how here's how you protest thing. You probably saw this already about how it don't try to drag DACA people out to your protest. Um, because the government knows where they are now, mm-hmm. and we don't know what their level of safety is. Mm-hmm. And so we're literally going to maybe have to hide them mm-hmm. um, because ICE knows yeah, where they are. Because they all like, registered. They all signed seriously up. seriously like Germany hiding seriously. Jews like, this is Anne from Frank the Nazis. Stuff. This is Anne Frank stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. intense. And and to give you an idea of uh, of how serious, well, I love it. Uh, here's a little light, 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 lightness. Uh, share. <laughs> you probably saw this. Had a great tweet. She says, "Those who can must take a dreamer into their home and protect them. I'm ready to do this, and pray others in my business will do the same." Hashtag sanctuary. And then, of course, a troll uh, immediately followed her and said, sure you will. I'll believe it when I see it. And so Cher went to Cher and said, then keep your eyes open, bitch. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, (laughs) this is the reaction. This is a no-brainer for the vast majority of us. You know, this is, I mean, there are so, besides, this is cruel. It's cruel, as it Obama said. It is cruel. You cruel. you had an agreement with people. Uh, you broke the agreement. Your timing is yeah. what makes it cruel. Um, but the amount of problems that this is going to it, it's massive yeah. from um, domestic problems, international relation problems. To you are going to 
have Americans who absolutely will not trust government or anything that from social security to medical help. I mean, you just saw in Houston where I think it was uh, the police chief saying, if you are in danger, we don't care about your status. Please come out. We want to help you. People aren't going to come out. Yeah, I know. So coming up, uh, we're going to continue this docket discussion, and I want to discuss the bigotry factor because obviously this is the learning curve. Is we got to separate what is bigotry and what is just BS because <laughs> they're crafting some arguments which uh, just uh, don't hold water. I'm Jeff Stein, along with Eric Harrison. This is Jeff's World. You are breathing the rarefied air of Jeff's world. I'm Jeff Stein with Eric Ferriston. Uh, Jeff Hendricks out for the moment because he's healing. And um, we're talking about DACA, uh, which is uh, – she's like, I remember the, the – we all, we all forget the, the anacronym. An, an acronym? <laughs> uh, deferred Action Childhood Amnesty. No. Uh, oh gosh! Now I've even, even I know. <laughs> That's, so That's why we need Jeff Hendrick. <laughs> he he would, would have like, rattled it right like, off. Deferred action for childhood arrivals. That was the word I couldn't remember. Deferred action for childhood arrivals, and so it was. You know, something that Obama did to try to put a band aid on it because he couldn't get Congress to move. And ironically. Here's the kooky part. I love looking at it through consciousness. You know me, Erica. And it's like, because if you don't learn the lesson, it gets bigger and it gets clearer. That's the other nice thing about it. Now, for the person receiving the lesson, uh, clearer can be replaced with pain, more painful. Because if you don't learn the lesson and you're in a state of refusal and you just go deeper into your victimhood, then it's going to get more and more painful. And you're going to have a harder and harder time defending your ground because your ground just doesn't exist anymore. It fades away. And ultimately, why did they do this? I think, you know, you got like Chris Kobach, the former secretary of state of Kansas, who's now running Ooh. the voter integrity program for. And he is a white nationalist, period. I'm sorry. I don't like to use terms like that. I don't say white supremacist. I don't say racist. Why not? Racist is in your heart. Whether you hate someone, that's in your heart. You decide for yourself if you're racist. But your actions can tell me if you're a white nationalist, if you are doing policies and deeds and words that favor a race and the prevention of other races having access to what you have access to, right? And, of course, he does it in spades, (laughs) pun intended, with voting. But he also does it uh, economically and what have you. And his quote, he got out and, of course— He's very much for this getting rid of DACA. And he said, they came in presumably with a parent or parents. And so the correct policy is for us to enforce federal law and deport the whole family to the home country. The idea that somehow it's wrong to ask people to go back to their home country and to come in the right way. I just fundamentally disagree with that. Now, of course, he just created a false argument on that one that to make them go back to their home country and come in the right way. A child is not responsible. I know you were two years old, but, but you <laughs> effed it up. Right. And you're going back, you lying toddler. Exactly. That is the stupidity of it. If you want to debate what the parents are in or not in violation of, okay, this is a different discussion. But you know, this with is kids? Like so many of these people were fleeing uh, horrible circumstances, like from yeah, El if their Salvador. life was ra- rocking over there, they wouldn't come. Exactly, <laughs> I think. Yeah. I think um, Stokely Carmichael used to say, "You know, hey, 
the people who came over on the Mayflower, they weren't doing so well over in England. Yeah. That's why they came. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's not like they were all of these well-to-do businessmen yeah. that were just having a great time in jolly old England. Exactly. Um, we're, we're a, uh, as I said in the last episode, we're a nation of escapers. You know, we're mostly constructed except for even the Native Americans in Gee, theory. Because we they were leaving, fleeing uh, like yeah. refugees yeah, we're all... for religious persecution. Yes. Isn't that interesting I how mean, that works? People are being uh, you know, persecuted to death. Because of religion, because of political beliefs, because yeah. drug, you know, lords and gangs and terrorists have completely taken over their country with, you know, some of our aid and financial support. I mean, these people are fleeing horrific circumstances. These, the, You know what they are? You know what those parents are? Really good parents. <laughs> exactly. That's what they are. Yeah, you would they do the same thing. They left everything, risked their well-being, their lives, to take care of their children. And that's what you do as a parent. Boom. Love it. So let's even get deeper into this, because this argument... Uh, and I get it from my Trump supporters, of course. He's not a racist. This is uh, they're not racist. This isn't racist. He's just a legal enforcer. I'm not going to use the word racism. I'll be, bigot, okay. But it is unquestionably a choice of white nationalism. There's no doubt about that. There's no reason to do this except to... And now, and the nice thing is, is we have their words to prove it. Jefferson Beauregard Sessions III is the best argument for why this is white nationalism. I was talking to my son and I was like, is he a racist? And I go, well, you know, Elizabeth Warren was shut down during his confirmation hearings and assaulted by all the white male Republicans because she dared infer that his justice, his systems, when he was attorney general in Alabama, might have had the intent to oppress black folks, which is on paper. In the 80s, yeah. you'd have to be an idiot not be able to tell that his intent. In fact, it was thrown, it was thrown out by all the other judges because it was so overtly anti, uh, in this case, anti-African-American. So in addition, and I thought, well, I don't know if he's done anything contemporarily. Well, here's why I love when the lesson comes harder and stronger, because now we've all dug up the words and said, hey, we, we, we got the evidence here. One of the things that Jeff Sessions has promoted regularly in the last, in, during the campaign in the last two years uh, while he was supporting Donald Trump is a 1924 law that we have to talk a little history. We have to go into this because you have to know about this. The Johnson-Reed Act okay. that was written and designed to stop immigration. And this was back in the Woodrow Wilson, Calvin Coolidge days when the KKK would march many thousands strong down Pennsylvania Avenue to remind the Congress and the president who's in charge. And that's when all the Confederate statues went up. I was going to say that. This is the same it's era. in the 1920s. So they put together a eugenics council. And they called that. They didn't even, they didn't even miss this before Nazi Germany, mind you. So they say, oh, okay, they have a little excuse, right? Because they didn't really know. And they went down and documented in this law how all those other races 
that weren't white, weren't Anglo-Saxon, they used the term Anglo-Saxon, those other races were feeble-minded, had more depression, had more criminality, had more, I mean, the list, I'm not going to read the list because it's so disgusting of things that they've attributed to it. So they passed this Johnson-Reed Act, which shut down the thing, and they said the goal, the the, the required goal, the Johnson-Reed Act, was to return the mix of white people to other races to the way it was in the 1890 census. And they passed this in 1924. So they wanted to back it up 30 years, 34 years, to what was the immigration makeup, which meant no more Asians at all, Mm -hmm. no more Africans at all, the only ones that were allowed to be in were European descent and a limited number of Eastern European descent, like some mm-hmm. Russians, some Armenians, mm-hmm. maybe a few Armenians, mm-hmm. right? And this is why it was a big deal, too. So is this what Jeff Sessions and these people are trying to yes. to enact? Yes. And they believe unequivocally. Okay, well, first of all, this is impossible. It, yeah, it's not even possible. How do you, like, remove, you know, re, re-apportion the... <laughs> any sense besides the fact how do you identify white people anyway as, as chris darden says we're all taupe which one's 100 percent white which one's partially white well they'll you probably anyway. give like dna tests from that right from that that commercial you always see yeah to trace your <laughs> genealogy this is the quote of of uh uh <laughs> this is this is jeff sessions from 2015 not long ago oh, god like we should do jeff sessions dna Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. You bet he has African in him, right? You Probably. know he does. <laughs> I, I have that part removed. Okay, so there we go. In, this is Jeff Sessions. In seven years, we'll have the highest percentage of Americans non-native born since the founding of the republic. Some people think we've always had these numbers, and it's not so. It's very unusual. It's a radical change. Now, he said this on Breitbart Radio because he thought he was talking to just his buddies. Right. Right? Just, he didn't say this on the campaign trail in front of the whole crowd. He said it to the... To the, to the people who understand. I just want to say First Nations people. Yeah, thank you. Duh. Continue. He says, when the numbers reached about this high in 1924, remember this reference, the president and Congress changed the policy and it slowed down immigration significantly. We then assimilated, meaning that we kept it at the numbers we liked, through 1965 and created really the solid middle class of America. So he's arguing it's great. With assimilated immigrants and it was good for America. We passed a law that went far beyond what anybody realized in 1965 and we're on a path to surge far past what the situation was in 1924. He refers to it twice. That That is one of eight references that Jeff Sessions has done on the air, on the media, saying, celebrating the 1924 law that kept people out because they weren't Anglo-Saxon. He is an unavowed, unabashed white nationalist. And with really bad logic. With really bad logic. I mean, that's like saying, you know, uh, because apple pies were made from scratch uh, in much larger numbers in the 1950s, that's why we had so much prosperity yeah. in the 1950s. What? And in 1965, just so you know, we passed the National Nationality and Immigration Act under President Johnson during the same thing, the civil rights movement, that whole thing. We passed that act, and that changed everything because we went back, we stopped holding people out to keep that percentage. Well, what percentage would the First Nations people like this country to be at? Because um, every single Anglo-Saxon came over on a boat. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So maybe we should like back it way up. Right. 
before to sixteen hundred Columbus, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. So coming up, I want to get that even... and get rid of all weather. I guess right apparently because <laughs> weather is because you know just, has a like, liberal they're bias. They're just gonna like back it all up. That's <laughs> a liberal bias. So, I mean, how far do you go? Yeah. So coming up, we're going to talk about a little more about this bigotry and how it applies to Donald Trump because he has a he has a defender who's quite convinced that he's uh, he's not bigoted at all, and I got to play that for you because it's so amazing. And uh, what he really understands about this DACA because apparently it surprised Donald Trump too. No surprise there. Uh, this is all. This is the place where we feelize ourselves to a saner future. This is Jeff's world. And yet, despite his bumbling through stage photo ops, Trump seemed to think highly of his performance after Harvey, so highly that on Friday he had a group of faith leaders at the White House to declare a national day of prayer and made them take turns praising him. Mr. President, we want to thank you uh, for your leadership. We thank you, the vice president, and your entire team. Don't be shy. What are you? (laughs) Since when are you shy? I'm I'm not shy, Mr. President. Anybody else? Anybody else? Thank you, Mr. President. Right from the beginning. Go yes, ahead. indeed. Pastor Jeffers. Yes. Prayer. Let's pray together, may we? Father, I thank you that we have a president, President Donald Trump, who believes in the power of prayer. This country has been bitterly divided for decades upon decades, and now you have given us a gift, President Donald Trump. Far be it from me to criticize God, but he is a terrible gift giver. (laughs) Did Trump come with a gift receipt? Although I'm sure, by the way, I'm sure God would say, a gift? I sent him as a harbinger of doom. What's wrong with you people? (laughs) That's Seth Myers. I'm Jeff Stein with Erica Ferris, and this is Jeff's World. Um, What's wrong with you people? Yeah. If you hadn't seen that, and I know my Trump supporters said, well, it's good. He's working with evangelicals and this and that. It's like, oh, my gosh. He literally went around the room and said, say something good about me. I mean, is it everything sort of saying that? Jeff, I don't think you you gave me the appropriate praise. I know, right? Erica, you're just awesome. You're just perfect. You're you're the whole reason that I exist. Wait, what Um, else? Uh, exactly, exactly. I'm not joking. Don't be shy. More, please. Don't be shy. I know you've got something more there. I I know. And I mean, the level of narcissism... And actually, you know, that I don't have any problem with the narcissist. I have a I, I mean, I don't have, I have a problem. with <laughs> I, It's the fact that that was a room full of people who who are in leadership roles in within the cloth. And not one of them could stop and go, OK, this is really icky, A, and B, um, I thought we were about serving God and Christianity, not trying to uh, false up the force, worship the false idol of this man. I mean, you this know? is like Stalin-esque. Wow. It is. Right? It is. It makes Kim I Jong-un mean, jealous that he could get that much praise out of people. He couldn't get that much praise out of people at gunpoint. I mean, the level of gushing over this man. But how about no. the awkward silences? Like when he was like, uh, you're not shy. No, I'm not shy. Like you could just like see him looking around like, I'm, uh, oh, oh, yes. Uh, thank you for your beingness. Yeah. No, seriously. I mean, it's, it, and, and that's an edited clip, obviously, that Seth Meyers put together. Cause if you watch the whole gosh. thing, it's far, it's charitable what Seth Meyers put together. Cause the whole thing, if you feel the whole moment, you're like, this is, so disgusting. If I were okay, next a parishioner, I know. <laughs> if I were a parishioner at one of these uh, churches, if I was a member of the congregation, I saw my leader uh, just 
not just not humble himself, but just grovel before this person who has no Christian values in yeah. terms of what I would consider, you know, loving your fellow man. Being, They're not Texans in that room. Exactly. So, um, but you know, we 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 kid the president. We bash on the president, and uh, and even I wasn't kidding. No, I know, and we're not alone. I don't know if you caught uh, John McCain, for whatever you want to say about John McCain, and I know we have differing opinions. We have opinions. a lot to say. We have a lot to say. But when he was in Italy, he made this statement, and he was made sure his staff got this statement back to America. He wasn't. He didn't do it secretly. He said, I realize that I come to Italy at a time when many are questioning whether America is still committed to remaining engaged in the world, to upholding our traditional alliances, and standing up for the values we share. I also realize, and there is no point in avoiding a little straight talk here, that this doubt has much to do with some of the actions and statements of our president. So he called it out and said, yeah, world, uh, sorry, uh, we are still Americans. And that is the plus side. The plus side is, is it forces us all to examine who we really are. And DACA is a good example of that. Um, but the question comes up, and, I, and if you allow me to pivot here, Eric, is the... Um, is Donald Trump a bigot? I mean, it's painfully clear now that through his actions. Now they're saying that saying he doesn't I mean, understand. I want to say who cares? I mean, who cares? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because the the actions that he is taking are those that are harming people by their race or planet. gender or yeah. You know what? That stuff is hurting white people too. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. You know, the, the the bigot is not only hurting people of color, but they hurt themselves. They turn them, they lose their humanity. Yeah, they want they want to make America really great do. again. And it doesn't just stop with color. And then it goes to like socioeconomic. That's a good dividing line. It goes to what type of Christian you are. That's another dividing line. They they lose their humanity. They They, they can end up doing things that, you know, monsters do that we've seen in the past that human monsters do that, that we see right now. I mean, it's, it destroys this bigotry, racism, um, all of these things. It destroys society. And so again, I, I agree with you in the sense that you know who cares. Obviously, we've we've come to know Donald. But okay, Trump. I'll play with you. But thank you for playing. Is along. he a bigot? Well, I don't know. It's Tell not the question. Start. No, no. The question is not so much as he's a bigot, which we obviously established, and it's fairly obvious. And if you can't see it, then you are determined to, to give uh, us the definition of bigot. Your definition that you're using, or I the definition, or Google pull it, it up, Google well, it. I will Google it while uh, I play this amazing clip. Uh, least popular governor in America, Chris Christie. In fact, he may be the lowest rated governor in American history, period, since polling has occurred. He's got about a 12 to 14% approval rating in New Jersey. Wow. Nobody does that, right? And 70-something disapproval. He went on Chris Hayes because he is an unabashed defender of Donald Trump. And I want you to listen to this, not to be enraged, because it will enrage you, but to hear... What must go through a smart person's mind in order to contort this much 
in order to defend someone. And I, th- I think you'll get the point when I play here in just a second. But I guess my, my question is, you, you're you talking about these things, the Muslim ban, you're lining up these things, right? The right. Muslim ban, the pardon of Joe Arpaio, the building the wall, Mexicans are rapists. You ran against him when he was saying that, right? You've got a comment about Charlottesville, right? Violence on both sides. Also, I think you disagree with that. You yeah, spoke absolutely. on that. At a certain point, it adds up to someone whose worldview really does seem to be um, perilously shot through with bigotry, right? Yeah, no, I just don't agree with that because I've known him for 15 years, and I know it isn't. I mean, you could disagree with him philosophically. But, he doesn't believe... But do you understand why that testimony doesn't scan? You can say, well, I know him. But it's like, well, I'm a U.S. citizen. I, get, I just see what the president says, and what he says is, after a bunch of neo-Nazis chanted blood and soil, there were some decent people there. You, and listen, and I think he made a big mistake saying that. I said that. But but it's different. Listen, the charge of bigotry, Chris, is one of the most base, awful charges you can make about a person. And I'm just telling you that I don't think you have nearly enough information to make that the, charge. I just has, don't think you do. I think I do from knowing him for 15 years, well, and I don't think there's a bigoted bone in Donald Trump's body. You guys I disagree philosophically no, that, on how the law should be enforced. Though. The guy just went out and said, a person who is unconstitutionally demanding the papers of Latinos, after he started his campaign saying Mexico sending rapists, which is not true in any real sense, right? This person, who in the middle of that said the neo-Nazis marching were fine people, like, at a certain point, I don't care what's in his body or what his bones are. Right. It's a question of what the public record well, is, right? Like, but, but, well, is, there, is there some but, way you can make that determination without knowing someone for 15 years? But the fact of the matter is that he disagrees with the premise of your question. He does not believe that Arpaio's actions were unconstitutional. He disagrees with the court's right. finding. And so you can't subsume that into the question, Chris, and then say, well, therefore... That makes it no, bigger. He talking, doesn't believe it's unconstitutional. I'm just, what I'm They're having an argu- saying, constitutional argument You're making about it. unrebuttable contention, which you're saying, contention. I know the guy for 15 years. I'm saying that, that uh, you do know him better yep. than I do. And I, I believe that you, when you say, I don't think he's right. bigoted. What I am saying is, there's this whole big country out here of people that do not know the president of the United States. Right. What they see is how the president says things, and they see the actions that he takes. And those things add up to a very reasonable conclusion about what his views are. Yeah. Well said. And perhaps Chris Christie uh, can't see that Donald Trump is bigoted because he shares those same bigoted beliefs and doesn't identify them as being bigoted. Does that make sense? Sure. I mean, there's that. that, That's the thing to parse through it, because what happens is we tend to get upset and we want to go, no, you need to understand he's, you know, and we get more into our victimhood. And I like the way Chris Hayes just said, said, look, you're making an unrebuttable contention. If you're just saying it's true because I know it is. Well, that's never going to be rebuttable. But what is rebuttable is whether or not the public record, those are great points. He made the public record demonstrates. By the way, I looked it up during the during while I was playing. A bigot, a person who is intolerant towards those holding different opinions. Pretty broad, intolerant to those holding different opinions. I think a lot of us are bigots in that definition, but still, he is clearly that. And so, not a bigoted bone in Donald Trump's body. Why would you say that? The only reason you said that is because. And, you, and this is what's fascinating about where we are, because if you watch Fox News, which I watch too much of for my own health, you see smart people like Chris Christie. Chris Christie is a smart guy. He can assemble words. OK, but what they have do it, what has he what he has done and you caught it by saying, well, maybe he's the bigot is that Chris Christie has developed his strength of conviction instead of his humanity. 
and Donald Trump has too. Chris Christie's still waiting on a pardon, baby. That's right. I there there's something. That's how brewing. smart Chris Christie is. There's He's something. like, I'm gonna take a hit on this because I need him to pardon me. He's got to be. There's got to be some huge stake in it for him. For him to and basically. He's mad at me for running against him, so I gotta make up for that. Right. Right. And so I'm just going to keep sucking up to him, you know, because what they do is they do the strength of conviction instead of humanity. They form better and better arguments to defend their perspective rather than being curious about whether the perspective makes sense. And so all Chris Christie did there with Chris Hayes was to continue to say, I'm a great lawyer who's good at semantics and wordplay. I'm going to keep parsing it so that I'm right. And that somehow I can say it's right, even though you have completely destroyed my argument. I will keep finding a new piece of dirt. And that is why my Trump friends are becoming more and more snowflakey is because they're running out of stuff, but they're doubling down on their strength of conviction. They're holding on to those two little things like, look, the stock market's good. So Trump is good. You know, look, the jobs are good. You know so what? Trump I is good. say let's give it to them. Whatever right? they right? need. To to feel good about themselves because yeah. clearly they, I, I mean, at this level, you know, I mean, I think Chris Christie's doing it to get a pardon, but yeah, something th- take somebody who you know doesn't have anything to gain. If that's the state that they're in, that they need to say like everything is great with Trump because the stock market hit a high. You know what? I, I guess they need that. Just let them have it. You just defined my point from the top of the show. I hate it when I do that. I know. The I up, quit. <laughs> the ups, the upsetness. Feel the neutrality of what you just said. It was beautiful. It was like, okay, yeah. If that is how far your self denial is going to go, I, I I can't be upset about that. You know, you're going to have some tragic circumstances that are going to occur to you because you're in so much self denial. You know, including things like climate change. Well, okay, if you don't want to prepare for the next flood, you're going to have a circumstance. But so here, so I'm I'm neutral. I can be neutral when it comes to just regular, I guess, people. <laughs> but I can't. I mean, I don't want to say I can't. But it for me, it is different when it's our representatives. When it's our representatives, because they yeah. do have no, the I'm, power, I'm, I'm and I am you. in fear, not just for myself, but for. You know, yeah, people. But but know this, you know, just because someone's smart, you know, the Unabomber was an articulate, educated person, and he just wanted to blow things up because he replaced again. He went to strength of conviction instead of curiosity about his humanity. Well, I love the way Chris just ruined that yeah. smart man's argument by yeah. making that one point. Yeah, it was an unrebuttable contention. You're saying, I know him, and that's it, and that shuts it down. It's like, well, that's not going to be good enough for the rest of us. Right. We don't care that you know him. Right. We're not going to take your word that you know him and that, therefore, Mm. everything he's said and done, we didn't see or hear. And we'll just disregard that and stick to what you say because you have known him for 15 years. Right. So I so I say to my Trump supporter friends, the public record, look at the public record, especially with DACA now, this shows that his words and his deeds are white nationalistic. And if you don't believe that, if you don't know what white Aryan nationalism is, or you're just kidding yourself, or you're so scared that you know that it feels better to convince yourself of an alternate reality rather than be aware of the peril that you know you're you're facing, you you gotta look inward. 
and say, wait a minute, what is white nationalism? White nationalism is, is believing in a world where, you know, whites are the preferred race. And that's what they're doing. There's everything. It, it's there. It's in the public record. There's no question anymore. And this was so weird because you and I were after Charlottesville. I was so eager to see what happens when Congress comes back. And it was such a big gap of time. I thought, you know what? This is going to blow over. And for most of us, that was the final disqualifying moment. Not that we aren't, you know, Trump wasn't already disqualified for a lot of folks. But in terms of like, after I saw that, his response in Charlottesville, I was like, you need to proceed every sentence now with white nationalist Donald Trump Mm -hmm. did this today. Mm -hmm. White nationalist Donald Trump did this. If for no other reason than to save the Republican Party. Because the longer you associate these folks, Jeff Sessions and Donald Trump and Stephen Miller and these other folks that are working in the White House. And on the, our Facebook page, by the way, we put up a nice uh, uh, list of all the folks who funded, supplied, and think tanked all of this white nationalist stuff that's going through right now. They're all there. They're out in plain daylight. They're very proud of their white nationalism. And but this is the Republican Party, Jeff Stein. I know it's, it's a, not yeah. the fantasy Republican Party in your head. I know. <laughs> but where, you know, I mean, where are the good Republicans? They're out there, that, obviously. They're speaking of. They're just not elected. I'm talking about Congress. I know. In Congress. That is the Let's ruling. I'm talking about the ruling Republican Party. They are Trump. So what do you think happens with DACA? They've got a six-month time limit on it, right? What do you think happens in Congress? I mean, I'm so beyond having a positive <laughs> you know, predictions because yeah. they, I, they've been proven wrong over and over again. I mean, part of me looks at like, okay, well, they're going to have to appeal to big business who's not going to want to lose those workers. So you're going to see some of those... Uh, Republicans doing it for those reasons to appeal to their big business donors. Um, but I don't, I don't know. I mean, you're right. They, they can stop this. If the Republican congressional leaders are not Trump, they can stop this. Yeah. If, if they wanted the votes, obviously if they just passed a simple thing that Obama wrote, the DACA as it stands, where, which allows those, who are were you know came over as as children, children. came in sixteen years or younger. That's the way it reads. Yeah, it's if not even was, up to eighteen. No, sixteen, 16 or younger. And younger. That they came at that age, they're allowed to continue to work towards citizenship by being no criminal record, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's a very specific path to citizenship. Now, if they just simply put that for a vote, it'll pass both houses easily because they'll get all the Democrats and the Tuesday group, as they say in the House, which is about uh, twenty five, thirty five. Uh, Republicans. But it's up to them to put it up for a vote. But they won't put it up. And that's the question. Will Paul Ryan put up a vote? And what I'm reading in the right wing papers is that if Paul Ryan puts it up for a vote, Paul Ryan loses his speakership because they'll get a mutiny from the Tea Party, who is unabashedly white nationalist, a good stretch of them. So then you have your answer of what's yeah. going to happen. Yeah. It's not going to be put up for a vote because Paul Ryan is about Paul Ryan. I don't know. This is the question. Will he put it up for a vote and then lose his speakership? Or will he just, or take a chance at losing his speakership, of course. Uh, And will that be bold enough that he doesn't lose his speakership, that enough of the Republicans give him cover? Um, But I don't see how that works. 
I don't see how that you works. You don't think that the Republicans would give him cover? Enough cover? Not enough. Not enough of them because he needs a majority. He needs 200 and, you know, 213 in order. And he can't, he's got to get more than half of the 435. And a good 75 of them are white nationalists. Basically, basically white nationalists. And so in order for Ryan to keep his speakership, you'd have to get Democratic votes. And of course, you can't get it with Democratic votes. They'll be like, no, we're voting for our person. So I don't know. I think this is one of these ones where they're going to kick it for a while. They're going to ignore it for a while in the hopes that Jeff Sessions's Department of Justice won't actually enforce it. And in the meantime, maybe they'll get saved because Bob Mueller's investigation will come to a head and indictments will start and they will include Jeff Sessions. And these folks will just start being removed before DACA is actually implemented in March. I don't know if it could come that fast. Well, then what I would say is the people's work is get out there and stand um, with these, you know, young adults. They're now young adults and stand with them. Right. Call, march, rally. Yeah. You know, make it so appealing (laughs) that they want to do the right thing. But this, if you haven't been fo- if you've been following immigration reform for the since before W. Bush, and by the way, uh, the DACA thing that Obama wrote, which is screamed at as being so unconstitutional, Eisenhower, Reagan, and George Herbert Walker Bush wrote a version of that, which was a path for children. They all did it. This is not something renegade on Obama's part. He did it because Congress wouldn't act, and Congress hasn't acted for two presidents, both Republican and Democrat, and so. This the one good news. Again, the reason I say all that, the good news is, is this will force it to be dealt with. Mm-hmm. We will have an answer and we will have an answer from the people and we will be the leaders we're looking for because mm-hmm. we will house these folks. We will protect these folks. Cher is not BSing anyone. That's right. She will put someone in her house. You would. You know, if, if your friend or your neighbor's friend or your someone you were working with or working for, you know, having employing was in a position where they were going to have their child removed if they returned to their own house because ICE knows where they live, mm-hmm. you would hide them at your house. This mm-hmm. is Anne Frank stuff we're talking about. Mm-hmm. And we will rise to that opportunity if necessary. I am very confident well, in America. Well, and they're not only going to be hiding children, but you're going to want to save their mom and their dad too. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's the same with the silly transgender thing. Are they going to really start pulling people out of the military? Are you going to go into the military and start removing uh, people that are active duty sailor soldiers or airmen or Marines that are <laughs> that are DACA, <laughs> that are children of immigrants? Are you going to just remove them? Is, 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 is you know, Jeff Sessions going to sign that directive to, the, to ICE to go start taking them out of the military? Yeah. Uh, nope. Do they bus them back or fly them back? Yeah, to a country they've never been to. Yeah, on trains. They're true. So, okay, coming up the lightning round. Uh, we got a lot of interesting things on tap. Uh, just so many great little stories and some uplifting, I promise. That as we continue with Jeff. This is Jeff's World. This is where we do our political soul search so we can find that uh, satisfying perspective on life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I'm Jeff Stein with Erica Fairston. And uh, we're into the cash. I mean, DACA is going to be obviously a topic we're going to continue for a while, uh, and we'll come back to healthcare too. But uh, I will say we don't want we don't want to digress too much. But uh, be proud of Erica Fairston. She goes to the town halls. Oh my gosh! She does the work, and she bravely scares the crap out of herself <laughs> 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 because sometimes she goes into a room filled with 
corporatists who don't want to talk about health care. They want to they don't want they don't want that boat rocked at all. I have to tell you, I am just, you know, a small part of an incredibly, you know, large contention of brave people who who take action. So it's an honor to to stand with them and to um, chant with them. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Jeff Hendrick put something on the Facebook page about uh, we have a an aircraft that's grounded because an aircraft that we fight fires with, a 747. Now, a lot of our super tankers, they carry about 3,000 to 5,000 gallons of FOSS check, which is, again, that red stuff, that retardant, which is actually 85% water and 15% fertilizer with red dye. Uh, we have one, the 747-700 version, that carries 19,000. So instead of 3,500 or 3,000 to 5,000, 19,000 gallons. And they are currently grounded, awaiting for the U.S. Forest Service, which is being stalled by the Trump administration. I mean, I don't even know why, because they want to cut, 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 cut. They don't want to pay for it. And we're like, what? Why would you not want, why would you ground uh, one of the greatest firefighting tools. The other fun thing about the 747, they ionize the fire retardant. And what that means is that it kind of makes it more airy, like in your, like when you aerate in your, your, your faucet at home. And so when it drops on people, you can actually drop on people and they are unharmed other than covered in red stuff. Mm-hmm. Whereas these other tankers, if you're under one of those, it can knock you out and do some serious wow. hurt to you because it drops in such large quantities and, and it's not aerated, not ionized. Yeah, I mean, just think about, okay, so the Republicans have their way. They they cut emergency funding. They cut uh, school funding. They cut health care funding. They cut Meals on Wheels. They cut national parks. They cut uh, garbage collection service, yeah. you know, infrastructure upkeep. They yeah, cut yeah. it all. That's right. They cut it all. Where? How is your life better? Yeah. Like, do you think that you're getting that money, like, like in a check, <laughs> so that you could go shopping? Because you're not. Yeah, yeah. I mean, where is that money going? Oh, it's going to the top one percent. Okay, we know that. And so you argue, well, they're they're the they're the job creators. They're going to create jobs. Really. 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 Um. <laughs> So you'll have, um, because they they also don't want to pay $15 minimum wage, so you'll have a job, you know, working less than minimum wage, and you'll have, you know, no running water, no sewer system, because it's all been cut. Uh, If your house catches on fire, you're on your own, because the fire department's been cut. I mean, follow the logic. Yeah, they've equated regulation with persecution of their tribe instead of seeing it as protections that we're just debating keep the, the tribe safe keep the tribe safe right so, it's like if we you know lived when it was just lions and tigers and bears and uh you had some you know really good hunters out front that stayed up all night to protect the tribe while yeah. they were sleeping. That's a consumer protection. Everybody chips in a little bit, right. pays the guys with the big spears, yeah, you and feed. you get a sound uh, sleep. Yeah, you share your food with the guy who stays up all night yeah. to protect the tribe. Everybody chip in a little bit of extra food, Yeah, and this is what you get in return. That's, That's a consumer protection. And, yes, the investment of taxes. So, all right, other lightning round fun stuff. Remember Louise Linton? She's the wife of Steve Mnuchin, who got into trouble because she tweeted about her all her different products when she was on a taxpayer vacation, and it looked like a giant ad 
for her stuff. And then somebody attacked her and said, of course, hey, what are you doing on taxpayer dime, you know, doing this? And she shout back at them, I pay more taxes and I suffer more than anybody. Oh, and everybody boy. went, you've got to be kidding me. You're a multi-gazillionaire. You're, nobody's feeling sorry for you. Well, here's a good story. She apologized. Did she? She has owned it for the moment. I don't know if she just got a good PR person, but I'm going to take her at her word until I'm proven otherwise. Quote, my post itself and the following response were indefensible, period. I don't have any excuses, nor do I feel any self-pity for the backlash I experienced. I sincerely take ownership of my mistake. It's clear that I was the one who was truly out of touch, and my response was reactionary and condescending. Mm-hmm. I don't know if a PR person wrote that or she Are you did, her coach? But I am like, no, I'd like to be if that's where <laughs> she's actually willing to evolve that much. I mean, I was completely impressed with that because she looked like somebody who didn't care and thought that poor people were lazy and stupid. And she was the put upon rich person because they pay so much in taxes. But she came around. Mm-hmm. So we're going to leave her at that. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, another story. There's that, that if you hear your right wingers talking about this, that Obama is the most expensive ex-president for taxpayers. <laughs> okay, so this has been a thing, and and well, it clearly because Donald Trump is costing us a fortune, right? By refusing to you know stay in the White House and all of his golf trips. Well, we'll make but this very anyway, clear. Go ahead. We'll make this very clear that he is going to be the most expensive sitting president. But they stipulate and they say ex president of all the ex presidents, and then what they try to say is because President Obama is going to cost us. Like, uh, what is it, $1.1 million in 2018 will be his expenses to take care of the president, which means not only do we pay for his offices, uh, which every president gets paid for, security. but security and this kind of thing now. And then they compared it to George W. Bush, who's $100,000 lower, $200,000 lower. Bill Clinton's is $200,000 lower. George, w., George Herbert Walker's Bush's is $940,000, another $200,000 lower. And Jimmy Carter is only... Four hundred and fifty thousand. He's the cheapest. I was gonna say. I'm like, you know who the least <laughs> expensive is? Jimmy Carter. But I mean, he lives, I think, in the same house that he had before he went into the White House. And so, a couple things about that. One, President Obama surprise requires more security, and that is a decision of the Treasury Department because he is a more threatened president because he's black. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm just gonna say that out loud, but that's basically. True. And people aren't trying to kill Bill Clinton and George Herbert Walker Bush and George W. Bush and Jimmy Carter as much. Mm -hmm. Right. So that's the first part. Second part, it turns out when you look at the numbers, they are right. The right wing is right that he is more expensive than those others. But almost all of that difference comes from rent. His offices are in Washington and everybody else's offices like Carter's is in Atlanta and it only costs one hundred and fifteen thousand dollars a year. His is in Washington and cost five hundred thousand dollars a year. It's the difference in rent. Clinton's is in Harlem and cost is a little bit less. It's eighteen thousand less, and and then W's is in Dallas and that costs almost another hundred thousand less. So the difference, just so you know, because I know people are just getting this has one to on do there, with rent it has to do mostly security. with rent and security. It isn't like he's, but they did that because it's what aboutism, mm-hmm. right? Well, Trump's That's expensive, what I said, right? And but, you talked about this on the last show. This what aboutism? Yeah. Uh, fun, weird, some other weird stories. Uh, one, a burning man just recently happened, as you may know. Uh, you've been to one or no? You've no. Been, okay. I'm Have sure. you? No. Uh, 
I'm like, I'm like intrigued. I'm past like I'm past the age for that. Uh, not apparently of the sixty thousand people that go, a good chunk of them are our age. Apparently, There's, well, we're, we we're well representative. We are young. Still. So that's right. We're in our twenties, so of course. <laughs> yep. Um, but a man ran into the Burning Man. Did you hear this? I did. My husband told me. Yeah, that makes me really sad. Well. I don't know what to feel, quite frankly. He was 41 years old. It was his first band, Burning Man. They found no evidence of alcohol, but they don't know if he had any other things no. going on. But I thought he was like high on Molly or something. Well, that's the presumption, right? But uh, I, that didn't make any sense to anyone who's an expert in that. They said, well, that doesn't make any sense. You're not going to get like on Molly and go into like a fire. Yeah, that's It would have to be something different. It would have to okay. be something PCP or something really mind-losing because okay. no one on Molly ever ran into a burning building before so but the thought is is that the question is well what is this is this guy did was it a really colorful amazing dramatic suicide that's my first gut it says this guy wanted to go out and he wanted to go out big and he wanted to you know make a, okay well i just feel sad I don't about know. it well he's 41 years old anytime somebody takes their own life you kind of want to have an opportunity to jump in and say can we help you make a decision before you do that so that's my sadness is you know i want to always be able to help somebody who may have made a instead of making a permanent choice to a temporary problem as they say right right so i don't know just, whether he was on drugs or trying to commit suicide i just <sighs> i think it feel makes sad. us feel a little better when we can say oh well he was on some sort of substance that we don't understand and it made him crazy no i just don't think that's make it me feel better that well, makes me feel sad uh, okay i'm gonna tell you <laughs> i feel sad that this individual for yeah. was either confused because of drugs or confused because of a mental illness yeah. and ran and burned himself alive to death. Yeah. They airlifted him to UC Davis, but of course he died from his burns. Um, <sighs> and uh, anyway, so take whatever that is, what you will for that. It's, it's, a, it's a fascinating step. Look inward and say, wow, what would maybe, like you said, what would drive a person to do that? And, uh, and if you recognize those signs in I other people. I just want to say don't do drugs. <laughs> well, I think it's you know, Now, think it's now we just lost all our know, listeners. Right? They're I like, this, they are so not hip. <laughs> That's right. So uh, the, I, I think it's probably more suicide And treat your based. mental illness. <laughs> yeah, treat your mental illness. Uh, and I like what I, when we had Christina Single Rita. Remember, remember Christina Rita, our, uh, our great expert on uh, Oh, on, yeah. on suicide. When she mm-hmm. came in, she said, you know, ask. If you think somebody in your life is about to or is considering it, ask. It's the weirdest thing. Remember how they just say, are you thinking about killing yourself? Are you thinking about, you know, uh, doing something are to yourself? Are you okay? Do you need help? I'm yeah. concerned. But if you ask them, it's something about making it, you know, as Christine Like literally said, ask them, are literally you going to kill you, yourself? No, no. Yeah. Literally ask them. Uh, because a lot of times we do it quietly and we contemplate the whole narrative by ourselves, never speaking to anybody and then go through with it. Whereas if somebody, it's, it's amazing how effective, apparently, according to Christina, is that if you stop and say, well, are you doing it? Then they go, oh, and then they suddenly you're included in the process. They don't feel so alone. Okay. They're actually connecting it to a real event. It becomes more. So ask know, the person, do you. Are you planning on killing are yourself? Are you planning on killing yourself? Have you taken any steps to do that? You can even ask that too, she said. And says. if you're a burning man doing drugs, have a drug buddy. Have a drug buddy. That's, that's, yeah. Have well, a buddy he, to stop you from doing something stupid. Well, about seven, eight people tried to stop him. You know that, right? I don't know if you saw that. He was stopped by the, tried to be stopped by the Forest Service who protects it. Tried, but there were several authorities okay, well, then and he officials. He must have been on like, He was extremely determined. Because he had well, he superhuman strength. Well, if you really wanted to get through and get to a burning fire, you could, I assume, uh. right? 
Uh, watching Fox News, I always check to see every time, uh, every week or so, the, there was another story of a 52-year-old math teacher woman in Texas who was having sex with her teen boy student in a public park even over the course of over a year of relations with this. I know. I just get, so do not. This is wrong. It's illegal. It's bad. Just, Jeff so is many, laughing. I just think it's just... I, I'm Jeff fast. wishes he was a 16-year-old boy with that right, opportunity. No. I think... Well, I mean, as you're when you're like that... Kid. Anyway, but I do say it's all wrong. It damages you. There's nothing good about it. But uh, it is fascinating how fascinated uh, Fox News is. So somebody, they must be clicking on it. So you Fox News li- viewers obviously love this story. They do. It's Fox News viewers and me clicking on it to... Uh, to see why they're clicking on it. Okay, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna touch upon that. I know, right? It's gross. Uh, but anyway, again, that's something society still has to figure out. Our sexuality, we got a lot to work on in that area, for sure, for sure. Colin Kaepernick still going, still not employed, right? Still fascinating. Got a lot of weighing in. Cam Newton, famous, awesome quarterback, said there is absolutely no way that there that 64 quarterbacks in the NFL are better than. Colin Kaepernick, because there's 32 teams and everybody has at least two quarterbacks. That's the uh, math. So it. it is impossible for 64 quarterbacks to be better than Colin Kaepernick. And so that continues to be a thing. And Anquan Bolden, who, if you know who he is, he's a guy, he's won the Walter Payton NFL Man of the Year Award. He's a, just an upstanding guy as well as a, a football player. He quit. He retired. He was getting near retirement age anyway. Okay. But he retired to focus on activism. Nice. It's a battle for all of us. I don't have enough time. I'm playing too much football. I need to be part of the social discussion. This is where life matters. He had a a, a come-to-Jesus moment that there's just too much. There's too much injustice. There's too much to to work on, and he would rather put his considerable time and effort and money into that. And what is um, Kaepernick saying about, does he make any statements about the fact that he's not been employed or he just goes on doing his activism you know he's been pretty quiet about that Mm -hmm. and his agent is still happy to take offers this sort of thing you know one of the great arguments jack's about to start flag football yay if he wants to come and be the quarterback i love it (laughs) i will host him at our home yep i love it um so the other thing that was fun about that, uh, he's, yeah, he's, he, I think I saw this great thing on when Philadelphia was considering for a brief moment because they had an injured quarterback and they might have needed somebody. So there was a debate started right up, which is really encouraging. As soon as there was an injury, he's okay. The quarterback's going to be he's fine. But as soon as there was even remotely an injury, everybody goes, okay, Kaepernick, should we? Shouldn't we? And that to me says that's where the debate is gone. But one of the great arguments they made in this Green Nation page of Philadelphia Eagles fans was, no, we don't want Colin Kaepernick now. We've made the point. He should not be on the bench. He should wait till some starter falls and t- and be a starter or at yeah. least a second guy, yeah. not some third string quarterback. Just sitting on a bench. No, he should. He's so good. Now the argument is becoming no, no, no. He's not only neglected. He's so good. He does. He should wait for a good offer. Right, right, right. Like wait. it's a waste to just have him sitting on the bench just to employ him. Right. Just like no, no, no. Wait. And so now the encouragement from his fans. I think he's awesome. I know. The supports now is, no, Kaepernick, if they offer you a third string, don't take it. Take the go, Wait for the big job because you're too good. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Isn't it funny how it turns? Now it's this source of pride. Who, right? So is it the owners that make these decisions? Yeah, ultimately. I mean, and no. is there like one owner of a team or is it a board? There's almost always one owner. This is a weirdly, uh, yeah. 
Yeah, it's a weirdly. It's funny because if you don't know this about football, but football is the most socialist capitalist thing on in America. Yeah. Because they redistribute all the wealth. Every right. single team gets the same television revenue. It is the most, and they all, all the player caps, the player salary caps, the free agents, all the system is based so that every single owner gets an even slice of the pie in the most socialist, socialist way while simultaneously being super capitalist because How they can. How is it that I, I don't understand what the, like, why they're resisting the Kaepernick? Well, you know, there's a lot of, part of it is just because they do have to have the right place. A lot of teams did have a quarterback and they didn't need somebody. Oh, um, so there so it had to be a need first. Some of it is first. legit. Some of it is, a lot of players, a lot of owners, like, it's legit. They have their quarterback. Like, we'd love to have you, except we already have this guy and we're not going to fire this guy. And we've got a deal and we've got a contract. Just yep. to, okay. Yeah. Yep. It's when an opening comes up there, everybody pounces. And when it's like the Dallas Cowboys, they're not going to touch it because they're Dallas Cowboys, I guess. Because it's Jerry Jones, who, you know, obviously, I don't know. He's not exactly my favorite person. A couple quick last ones here. Uh, first of all, Katie Holmes and Jamie Foxx are in a relationship. Why does that that's matter? That's been for a while. I know, but this is the thing. It's been for a while, but they just got photographed publicly. And the reason that's a thing, because apparently when Katie divorced Tom Cruise, it's rumored that there was a clause in her divorce settlement stipulated that she had to wait five years before dating publicly. Okay. And now it's five years, basically. And that's one of the reasons why we're finally seeing pictures. We knew they were dating, but we weren't allowed to see them because he because the divorce clause. Do you know he's an amazing piano player? Jamie Foxx? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. No, and singer. Of course, I saw Ray. He's freaking okay, well, amazing, yeah. right? I didn't know he played, though. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, I know he, he plays. Uh, uh, he's so freaking talented. By the way, a little fun fact. His name is Jamie Foxx because when he was doing stand-up in the early days, you if you were had a woman's name, you would get on the roster because they thought you were a girl. Oh, and they really? were so sparing. It helped him get on girl Ross, get on the rosters to uh, when he was starting out. Well, so the story goes. Check this out. Yeah. My old roommate, Duchess. Yep. Been on a couple of dates with Mr. Jamie yeah, Foxx yeah, back yeah. in the day. And then so Katie is sloppy seconds for your friend, <laughs> Duchess. Yeah, go, Duchess. Uh, another thing, if you get goosebumps from listening to music, your brain might be special. They did a little study. And they found that if you get goosebumps during music... I have goosebumps you, right now. I know. Me too. I get goosebumps a lot too, which I was very much like, oh, I like this this new <laughs> discovery. Because it basically says that you have an increased level of sensitivity to the world and emotions, Ooh. which I thought was kind of cool. I have been told my whole life that I'm very sensitive. There you go. So My mom used to call me Snowflake. Ah! So now Just it's scientifically kidding. proven. She didn't. I know. But she did say it was very sensitive yes and uh let's see one more last one is that uh oh no not second to last one last one second last one is uh russia there's a website i'll get it for you put on the facebook page so you can keep track they've actually been trying to keep track of when russian bots are really inflating a story one of the most recent ones was antifa right antifa right this whole left-wing so the russians went into high gear on Antifa and fed it into as many feeds as possible every time there was that that same video of the violence, that same video of the story. And it's not that the stories aren't real. It was a real depiction of, you know, some Antifa dip dips, you know, getting into trouble. But the Russians are vastly inflating that and Fox News loves it. And so it all works out, right? Uh, last one is that they did another average. Who's the, here's the average amount of time, of sex people are having at uh, various age groups. So you can, everybody loves to compare themselves to other people's lives. So you can ask yourself where you fit. If you're 18 to 29, you have an average of 112 times per year. That's twice per week. If you're 30 to 39, you have an average of 86 times per year, which is like one and a half times. And 40 to 49, uh, your average is 69 times per year, a little over once a week. 
Okay, so, what is a half set? I know exactly. <laughs> Thank you. I'll like not know. One person doesn't climax. And parting thought when you compare, you despair. That's exactly right. It's like that punch on the dead on weekend update. They said there's a new study that says we can have super orgasms through a combination of yoga, breathing, and pretending. So, this is <laughs> Jeff's World. I'm Jeff Stein. That's Erica Ferriston. Thank you so much for listening. This has been Jeff's World, the social, political, pop cultural discussion show that looks at life through the rose colored eyes of the almost criminally optimistic Jeff Stein.